Etiquette. What does that look like in today's society? The dictionary definition of etiquette is the customary code of polite behavior in society or among members of a particular profession or group. In this podcast, we're going to talk about 10 basic rules of business etiquette. To walk us through these codes of polite behavior, we have with us Dr. Barbara Baggerly Inohosa. Inohosa has her doctorate with a focus in leadership studies. She is an assistant professor at Our Lady of the Lake University, and Dr. Inohosa is the CEO of Leadership Empowerment Group, LLC. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. Hola, amigos, and welcome to another episode of the Latino Business Report. Today, we have with us Dr. Barbara Baggerly Inohosa. Dr. Inohosa, how are you doing today? I am doing really well. Thank you for having me today, JR. No, no, thank you for being here. I know your schedule is busy. And uh, Dr. Inohosa, we're here to talk about etiquette, business etiquette. Now, I know as you travel throughout the state and other parts of the country that this is one of the things that people request most of you to actually do a workshop or a course on business etiquette. Is that is that correct? It is. It is. We are getting lots of requests for uh, training and discussions and even coaching around etiquette and just professionalism in general. Barbara, let me ask you. I mean, I always considered myself to have some decent manners. I mean, my mother raised me right. She taught me as a child, you know, elbows off the table. Don't chew with your mouth open. Thank you. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, all these business, all these etiquette things are, are manners, I guess that were called back then. Now it's kind of evolved into etiquette. But is there a difference between business etiquette and just regular good manners? You know, I think there actually is. I think it's important for us as leaders to realize that in different situations that we find ourselves in doing business, some of them look a little social, some of them don't look social. But in in these different situations, we have to rely on this this set of norms and and kind of rules, if you will, on how to um, properly behave and communicate in those situations. And the reason we talk so much about this is that really at the end of the day, knowing the rules of engagement builds your self-esteem. So if you take just for an example, you're having a business meeting over a semi-fancy dinner and you're so confused about which utensil to use, it's very hard for you then to pay attention to the purpose of the meeting and what you're talking about and what you bring to the table in the discussion. So what we do with our training is we kind of walk through the 10 top 10 rules of business etiquette so that people can build their confidence. Certainly, we don't expect everyone to follow these rules all the time. I I tell people all the time, it's one thing to uh, break a rule that you know is a rule. It's another thing to not ever know it was a rule. And so it's just about education. At the end of the day, we each individually decide when to follow some of these rules and when we don't. Certainly when you're at home with your family, a little more relaxed, some of these things may sound kind of silly to you. But again, it's about the confidence and the education that you bring to the table so that you can really focus not on where do I put my napkin, where do I put my bag, but what are we talking about? What what are we trying to accomplish? So you also train people in the proper use of 
when they're at dinners of the silverware, which which glass to use, which fork, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's part of doing I business mean, these days. Well, for me, it was real simple. You just grab the tortilla and that can serve as both spoon and a fork. It certainly, and it still can. It still can. <laughs> it still can. It certainly okay, but maybe not can. at a maybe not at a business meeting. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> now, now, Doctor Inahosa, you're in a unique position because one, um, you're the uh, CEO of uh, the Leadership Empowerment Group, uh, where you deal with a lot of adults, but you're also a professor at the uh, Our Lady of the Lake University. So you deal with both young people and and more mature folks, more experienced folks. Do you see a, a gap in the in the in the generations when it comes to etiquette and and just basic good manners? Yeah, well, certainly I deal um, at Our Lady of the Lake University. We I actually teach in the PhD program, so all of my students are working on their doctorate degrees. So they do tend to represent. Um, middle age, upper age professionals. Um, but in our work at Leadership Empowerment Group, we do get the pleasure of working with all ages. We do the same etiquette training with high school students. We've, we've even done it with middle school students, as well as CEO and top executives of hospital systems here in the Rio Grande Valley have engaged us in this conversation because it is such an important conversation. And one of the things we know is that there definitely are generational differences in the way that we see leadership and the way that we see professional communication. But also, aside from those documented generational differences, we're seeing a tremendous shift in professionalism because of COVID, because of our work in the virtual space for now two years, and then coming back to person, coming back to interactions, it, it's time for some of us just to be reminded of some of the things that we used to do and how maybe that's evolved because of, of the change in our situation. But certainly, we cannot do business the same way. The same way you and I have meetings virtually don't translate exactly the same way to the way we will have a meeting in person. And so it's important for leaders to understand what do I need to keep in mind when I am returning back to in-person work that maybe I have forgotten since I have lived in this virtual space and worked in this virtual space for so long. Or you've gotten so comfortable, you kind of forget to actually do it and be polite and have some degree of decorum, if you will. You you may forget. You may not even want to do it. We, we are all at different stages with how we're dealing with the external environment as well. And some of us have lost some patience in trying to uh, react to the environment around us. So it, it may not be that we have forgotten. It may be that we're choosing not to do it. But I think in the long run, we will see harm in our business journey, our professional journey, if we don't, if we don't kind of reset ourselves. Okay. Well, I know, uh, Barbara, before the show, um, you sent me a, a list of some of the 10, 10 things that you, you stress or talk about. Let's go over those, those 10 things real quick. And I have, may have some questions along the way, but, uh, the number one on top of your list is uh, introduce yourself. Always use your full name and titles. Can you kind of elaborate on that as we go down the list? Sure. So the introductions are really, really important. We want to make sure, especially when we're in person, that we are making eye contact, that we have some level of confidence. But we need to think about professionalism, even with our introduction. So we don't just introduce ourselves to each other with our first name. It's important to use your full name and any title that you have. So for example, 
For me, I my title is doctor. I did earn a PhD in leadership studies. And so if you were to introduce yourself to someone and you have a title like doctor or Mr. or Mrs., it's important to use that title. I also tell people, pay attention to the way someone introduces himself or herself to you, because that's the way he wants to be addressed moving forward. And that's probably the way he wants to be reintroduced as you introduce this person to your network. So for example, again, if I say, hello, it's so nice to meet you. My name is Dr. Barbara Hinojosa. Then I'm already kind of communicating, not kind of, but I'm actually communicating that expectation that you're going to address me as Dr. Barbara Hinojosa and reintroduce me as Dr. Barbara Hinojosa. At some point that may change with the permission of the person and that's perfectly fine. But in that introduction, in that initial interchange, it's important to use your full name. Okay. Makes sense. Now, let me ask you this. In today's world, and you see it a lot on Zoom calls and screen calls, they people will add a pronoun. So in, introducing yourself you know, in person, is it proper to mention that if, in fact, the person wants to be addressed that way? So that's a great question. So we are seeing a lot more uh, use of pronouns, and I think that's an important thing to pay attention to. So if someone provides their pronouns for you, whether that's in an email signature line, whether that's verbally or in some sort of written communication, that is their way of telling you, I want to be referred to, my pronoun is she, her, right? And we need to adhere to that. That's them communicating that that is what they they prefer to use um, when referred to. So it's important to pay attention to that. And it's important to use that for sure. I don't think it's appropriate to ask. I think that if people want to um, use their pronouns and they think they need to guide you in that direction, they will. And, and if they don't, I think they're okay with whatever you're assuming is okay as far as pronouns. And if, if what you assume is an okay pronoun is not, then I'm sure you'll be redirected and you just gracefully say, thank you for correcting me and use the preferred pronoun moving forward. Okay. Number two on your list, saying thank you. Yeah, you know, it sounds so easy, but I'll tell you, culturally, here where I live on the Mexican-Texas border, um, we say thank you a lot. And we say it over and over and thank you and thank you and thank you and thank you. And while saying thank you is very important and we should do it, it needs to be authentic. And so the number two business etiquette rule is just don't overuse that phrase. Don't say it so much that it seems inauthentic and it also seems so rote for you that it just comes out. It's just part of your vocabulary. It's part of the way you communicate. So yes, absolutely say thank you. Go a step further. And I, we may talk about it, but write out a handwritten thank you card. Do that. It's a very important uh, communication tool. Just don't overuse it. Got it. Well, Dr. Inhosa, thank you for bringing that point up for people who <laughs> say thank you too much. <laughs> another important, another important part you talk about is listening. Yeah, you know, listening is tricky. Listening is a leadership skill. And I happened to publish a book in 2010 titled, Are You a 10? And the first chapter in that book is dedicated to the developing the skill of listening. 
And I have been married to the same man for 32 years who tells me that I'm not a very good listener. So I think listening as a skill can be pretty tricky, but it is a leadership skill that I think all of us need to be working on. And it's certainly in that top 10 of etiquette rules. So the idea is that when people are talking to you, that you try the best you can to actively listen. Um, we know by lots of research that listening is like an attitude. And when I am not listening to you, I am projecting an attitude that you do not matter to me. That really is dangerous in the world of leadership and in the world of professionalism. If we are um, giving out this signal that people and things don't matter to us, right? And so we've done a little bit of research on this because it's so fascinating to me. And we learned that one of the top reasons people don't listen is because of the cell phone. You know, someone's talking to you and you're on your cell phone. It's happened to all of us. We've talked to people while they're on their cell phone. Crazy. Well, you know, the, what we, whether we mean to or not, we are sending out the signal that whatever is on my cell phone is more important than what you have to say. Again, that is rude, and it's really dangerous in the world of leadership. Oh, it's rude and just very unprofessional. I mean, geez. It, another thing that, that I've noticed, maybe you can touch base on, is that when people, you're right, listening is, is a good leadership quality, but it's a skill set. Some people aren't necessarily listening, but they're just waiting for a break so they can start talking again. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually comes up on, on some of the top reasons why we don't listen. We either are interrupting the other people or really just not listening because we are creating our response. And that happens when we're getting defensive. So someone is telling us something we don't agree with or don't like. And instead of really fully listening to that person, we're crafting our response or our defense, if you will. And a lot is lost in that time that we were not listening. And so, yes, there are lots of things that we can do to work on our listening skill, and we will probably never be the perfect listeners, but it is probably in that top two list of leadership skills I would recommend to people to work on every single day, not only because it can help you understand people and it can help you lead better, but also because it's that attitude you're projecting. Is it possible, Dr. Nahosa, to have be a good listener at you know, professionally and at work in business settings, but to have selective listening when you're at home and your wife is talking to you? Yeah, I think it is. And that's probably what Mr. Hinojosa would say happens at, at our house. <laughs> okay, I'm sure it happens in a lot of households across the country. Um, another, you touch base on a little bit, but another important factor, which is number four on your list, is, is send thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes. That seems like a lost art. Yeah, I was glad we were going to get to this again, talking about thank yous. So I get to work with a uh, CEO of a major hospital system right on the Texas-Mexico border. And after our meetings, if we have a meeting, about a week later, I will get a handwritten thank you note from him on very professional monogram stationery. That has happened over the course of about five years. And it's really every single time I receive it, it, I pause and I think, wow, He is such a good example of how to use this strategy really well, especially in the world of emails and text messages, because now a a handwritten card with a stamp that comes to your house in the mailbox 
is very different. It, it sets it's it's apart from everything that everybody is dealing with all day long, every day. I say go ahead and send the email saying thank you. It was nice meeting you. You want your email and other e- other people's email boxes for sure. But go that one step further. Select a very high quality professional stationery set. Write handwrite a very simple thank you for your time. I enjoyed meeting with you. I look forward to future projects with you. Sign it, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send it because that will arrive one to two weeks later than your email. And all of a sudden, you're back in that person's mind. They got the email, they were like, Okay, that was a great meeting. And then here a week later, oh wow, they sent me this handwritten card, which takes time. And I think that's what people will see is that you are giving them more of your time. I I think this is a very important strategy for leaders right now, because it will set you apart. And I will say, go ahead and stick your business card in that thank you card as well, because now they have one more copy of that in their office. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Inhosa, that's something that I practice not as often as I should, but, um, I simply went on, I think it was Amazon. I think I went on Amazon and I ordered myself some very nice monogram personalized thank you cards complete with envelopes. And that's exactly what I do. I'll scratch it out in my doctor looking handwriting, stick a business card inside, stick a stamp on it. And a week or two later, they get it. And it it is a good way for people to make an impression. And it is an excellent way for the people you're trying to get to remember you to actually remember you because not Absolutely. many people do that anymore. Nope. Okay, the next one on our list, which kind of confuses me here, be graceful when sitting down. How is there is there a, an ungraceful way to sit or <laughs> Actually, there is. <laughs> you know, the reason why I think this shows up as number 5 on the top 10 is because we were attending pre-COVID and now it's starting up again post-COVID. Well, if we're post-COVID, but it's starting up again. Events where people are on stage, whether it's a, a small stage, a tall stage, really doesn't matter. But you, you, I know you've gone to these as well, JR, where you go to these panel discussions and people are sitting on stage and they're answering questions, ma- male or female, really doesn't matter. The, the idea behind this rule is pay attention to the way you're sitting. Really, you know, for women, if you're wearing a dress, Um, you don't want, you want to be mindful that your, your legs are about eye level most of the time to the people sitting in the audience when you're on a stage. And so you want to be very mindful of the way you appear, um, sitting down. And for males, it's pretty much the same, same issue, right? You want to make sure that you're mindful of where the eye is hitting when you're up on the stage. And again, this is a confidence builder. This is something that we talk to our participants about, not for the purpose of trying to say that you have to sit a certain way or whatever. It's to build your confidence. We we don't want you to worry about the way you appear on a stage. We want you to concentrate on what it is you're offering the audience, um, what knowledge you bring to the stage, right? So the idea is not to cross your legs at your knees, but to cross them at your ankles. And that just doing that helps with your posture as you're sitting, and it just helps with a number of different issues we have. Um, does does that go for men and women as well? I mean, crossing absolutely. crossing your legs at your ankles. Okay. Yep. Well, absolutely. you know, you know, Doctor Inhouse, I'm very aware of that because I know when it, the opportunities that I have when I'm on stage, I'm very aware of what is the audience seeing, 
And then two, I always look, is the table I'm sitting at skirted so they can't see under the table? When they can't see under the table, I feel a little bit more better. But when it's not skirted, they can see your legs. That's exactly what I do is just, I just keep my two feet together. I don't cross them. I'll start yeah. doing that. But I just kind of keep them together yeah. and go just just do not attract any attention to below the waist when you're trying to do a, a professional presentation. Just doesn't well, I, you know, it's all about what you want people to concentrate on. Um, and you want them to listen to you and you don't want to have any distractions. You want people to really be engaged in what, what, what information you're bringing to the group. And so we want to just eliminate any distractions we can. Especially if you're nervous and fidgeting and your foot is bouncing up mm -hmm. and down mm -hmm. under that table. Yep. All right, let's, let's move on to the next one. No pointing. Yeah, uh, the number six in our top 10 is all about pointing. And really, it is a matter of your body language. We want to make sure that as we are communicating, not with words, but with our bodies, that our communication is professional. And so one thing to keep in mind is try never to use your index finger and point when you're talking. There are a lot of us who use our hands when we're talking. So an alternative to pointing at people or pointing at things when you're talking is to use an open palm, open hand. And that way you can, you, you just don't feel as aggressive. It just, you know, in this world of people videotaping everything, you know, when we're talking that we're, we could show up on YouTube or on social media, and you just want to make sure that your body language is not misunderstood. And so sometimes when when we're pointing, we could be misunderstood as being angry or being aggressive when really we weren't, but out of context, it may look like we were. So just always remember to keep your hand open. Keep your hand. And I guess too, if you, if you do point, whoever you may be pointing at may be insulted. I mean, it's kind of rude. To, I mean, I know if somebody's putting their finger in my face. I'm going to get Absolutely. a little, a little bent out of shape. Absolutely. Okay, so good thing to remember. Palms open, do not point. Now we're getting into another area here for these for these last ones dealing with meals. Um, number uh, seven on your list is do not push away or stack the dishes when you're at a, yeah. rest, a restaurant. And you know why, JR, these are coming up in this top 10. These last few ones are about uh, meals. It's because I there's something like a 80% statistics say of, of how many, where we have most of our meetings. So a lot of us do a lot of business at the coffee shop, at lunch, at dinner, over a meal. Some of that is cultural, depending on where we live in this country, but it is a fact that we do a lot of business while we're having a meal. And so one thing to keep in mind is that when you're done, and this is something I think a lot of us have a tendency to just kind of clear the table. We're done eating. We move everything out of the way. Some, some pull out our notebooks, our computers, and we want to get to work. The, the etiquette rule here is, is to really resist that urge to do that. Allow the wait staff to do their jobs. Their job is to remove the dishes. And the, and the reason for that is that you don't want to seem rushed. You don't want to rush through this, this meal so that you can get to the business. You want to, you want to be polite and you want to make sure that that the meal is over, that the wait staff has come and collected all the dishes there are other reasons why we don't want to stack dishes as well. Sometimes if we are um, having, we've been, let's say you're invited to a really important client's home and they're hosting a dinner for you. Well, you don't want to stack those dishes because they may be very special dishes. It could be an heirloom. It could be something this, this host inherited or spent a lot of money on to prepare a nice place setting for you. 
and you could ruin their dishes by stacking them on top of other dishes that are soiled or even breaking them in that process. So just always wait for your table to be cleared. It sends the message that you're calm, cool, and collected. You're not trying to rush through things and that you understand your place at this table and your place is not the same as the wait staff. Okay. Good point. Now, Dr. Inohosa, what do you do when you have a, we've all had them, a bad weight person that does not pay attention, is not there? I mean, is it okay to call them over to clear the, the tables, uh, clear the dishes so you can get down to business or, or pull out that notebook or portfolio that you need to go over? It is. It is okay to ask for assistance. And I, I will say we're seeing a lot of that with some of the staffing shortages that we see in our favorite restaurants. They just don't have the staff to be on top of the tables as much as they should be. Um, so it's okay to ask, but you would still wait. If you want to pull out your notebook or your laptop and use your lap, put, scoot your chair back a little bit, you just won't be using the table until the wait staff has cleared the dishes. Okay, good point. Number eight in the list, never ask for a to-go box. So usually I get booed during this one when I'm presenting in, in person or some occasionally somebody will throw something at me. Not not really. Um, so, you know, <laughs> our tendency, we as at least in the culture in which I live, we don't we were taught not to waste food. We we were taught not to just, you know, let all your food go into the trash can. And so we often take to-go boxes home when we don't eat all of our food. The difference here, and that's still okay when you're with your family, the difference here is at a professional dinner with a client, the number one thing I want people to remember is that meeting is not about the food. And when you ask for a to-go box, it all of a sudden becomes about the food. And it's not about the food. It's about the meeting. It's about what it is we want to discuss. It's about our relationship with each other and what we're trying to do together. And so you have to be mindful of the fact that you're probably not going to eat a lot because you're going to be busy talking. So when you order, make sure you don't order a big botana. If you only have a little bit of time to have this meeting, order something small because you're, it's, it's rude to ask for a to-go box. It, it then just becomes about that food. The other tricky piece of this is if you're not the host, you're asking for a to-go box of food that you didn't pay for. And that also uh -huh. crosses another line. And so we want to make sure that even if there is food left over, if it's a professional you know, meeting that we're having, that we don't ask for a to-go box. Now, we are Latinos, and there are some ingrained tendencies in our DNA. So I guess it'd be pretty rude for a woman to reach into her purse and pull out some Tupperware. Yes, it would be rude. <laughs> you know, I will say though, I've seen it happen a lot. Um, might be guilty <laughs> of it every once in a while. I think again, this is one of those times that one, it's okay with your family and friends. And two, it's a rule that you know is a rule. And if you think it's time to break it, then you make an educated decision to break it. So I say that if you're at a meeting and, and there was so much food left over and you decide, you know what, this one time, I know this person very well, even though this is a business meeting, I am going to ask for a to-go box. Again, there's something, there's something different about knowing you're breaking a rule than not knowing you're breaking a rule. It's all about that confidence, right? And so you could even say, I know I'm not supposed to take a to-go box, but this was really good food. And I would love to take it home and finish it later when I have more time. The general is not to do it, but 
you know, if you want to do it every once in a while, I say it's okay. Or if you're like me and it's really good, just finish the darn thing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just take it at home later. Nombre, forget it. Okay. Next one on the list here, keep food options balanced for your guests. Now, explain that one to me, Dr. Hinojosa. Yeah. Food so, balance stuff. so again, this is now, let's say you're the host. So by the way, if you send the invitation to lunch, so you ask one of your clients or one of your colleagues to lunch, you are the host. And that is a very important thing for people to keep in mind. If I say, hey, JR, let's have lunch on Friday. I'm the hostess. That means I pay for the ticket. That means I pick the restaurant. And that means I think about um, the options of what it is we're going to eat. So I tell people, if you're inviting someone to lunch, really think that through. You have the power to pick the location. Make sure you pick a location where if your guest orders the most expensive thing on the menu, you're okay with paying for it. It's within your budget. There are lots of options in terms of restaurants where we can have meetings that fall into different budget ranges. But the idea is that you keep the options balanced for your guests, the person that you've invited. You don't really want them to um, feel limited in what they're able to eat. You also want to order yourself you don't, I, I've seen this happen a lot. I invite someone to lunch and I say, oh, I'm not hungry. You go ahead and order what you want to. That's, that's, that's just rude. You need to order something also because then your guest feels a little out of place, a little like I'm feeling like I'm all by myself eating here and you're just going to watch me. So you go ahead and order, you allow your guests to order and you keep those options somewhat um, balance. In, or, in other words, you might not go to a fully vegetarian restaurant if you don't know your guest is a vegetarian. You want to keep those options open, I guess is the best way to say it. I see. And I know exactly what you're talking about. On more than one occasion, I'll, somebody will invite me to go eat, nice restaurant. I'll get, you know, either a, let's say a chicken fried steak with some French fries on the side, a salad, a tea, and when they order, they go, I'll have a salad and a glass of water. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it makes me feel bad that I'm eating yes. a full meal. And they're sitting there just, you know, skimping like like they're on a diet. Well, anyway. That's it, a great uh, but, example. But you know what? I finished the meal anyway. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I eat my chicken fried steak and I put ketchup on the fries. And that's good. So, that's um, good. That's that's good to know. So keep those balances open. Now, I'm, I'm not – you get booed at this one because I don't have an issue, but – uh, number 10, the host always pays. Really? Yeah. So again, back to that, Ouch. the host always pays. Now this can get tricky, which is why it's listed separate. It, it gets very tricky, especially if we are male and female having lunch and we're in a cultural dynamic where men usually there you pay. Go. There you go. So if I ask you for an example, and I say, JR, let's go have lunch on Friday, then I'm expected to pay. And I have to be prepared for that. And I have to know that you may provide some resistance. You may say, no, 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 I got it. It's my turn. It's my treat. It's my whatever. So I, I want to avoid... I want to avoid that. I mean, here's the rule. At the end of the day, there should be no arguing at the table. So if I know I'm the hostess, but I didn't make proper arrangements, I didn't think this through, and I get there and JR just isn't going to let me pay for it, I'm not going to continue to argue with him at the table. We don't. We want to avoid that. So in order to avoid it, I get there a little bit early. I tell the waiter, I'm going to have a guest come. When he gets here, we'll be here. It's all one ticket and it's mine. Please bring it to me. 
Some restaurants, I will even give them my credit card early and just have them run it without even bringing me a ticket. And that's a restaurant that I visit often and I trust that they're going to take care of that appropriately. But I want to avoid the wait staff coming to the table and saying, is this one check or two checks? And then us having that discussion and people digging in their purses for money. I want to avoid all of that. If I invited you to lunch, I want to make sure I have that covered. Now, Not everybody understands this etiquette rule. So just be aware that you may be invited to lunch and someone may not have thought this. They don't know this is a rule and we get the check and we don't know what to do. Again, we don't argue through that, right? So you can, it's okay to say, let's split it or I'll take care of it or whatever, because the host, even if you weren't the one to extend the invitation, there are people that don't know that that's the rule, right? And so then we have mm-hmm. this awkward, awkward time at paying. So, you know, I like to always even say in my invitation, would you like to go to lunch on on Friday, JR? It's my treat. That way it's clear from the beginning that I am taking care of this this check. Right. Well, and you bring up some good points there, Barbara, that one as a chivalrous Texan and a Latino, I mean, going to lunch or dinner with a, with a female, I mean, it just some, it doesn't feel right to let them pay all the time. I mean, it just, ah, it kind of goes against the grain of how you were raised and, and how we think. But according to you, proper etiquette is to the host pays. Yeah, we are in 2022, JR. And so women are now able to um, pay for dinner and lunch. But I totally appreciate what you have to say, because we have these conversations in my house all the all the time. I have two boys and one girl and my boys talk about this a lot. It's okay to understand that the but, you know, I tell them a male can be the host. You're the one that has to extend the invitation and then and then make sure you take care of the check. I also say that we really don't want to be dividing things up. I I think unless you have um, some some way of doing that easily, that's where things get really complicated. And then what could have been a really good lunch meeting turns into this fiasco over who's paying what. And honestly, it could have been a $20 meal that we're having this fiasco over. So just take care of it if you're able to, if you think it's worth it. Okay. Yeah. And and to your point, the one that really my personal pet peeve is when you have a group of people going to a restaurant for dinner, you know, business colleagues or associates, let's say there's six or seven people at the table. You're not that hungry. You order a salad or shrimp cocktail or something light and they're getting lobster, they're getting steaks, they're getting everything else. And when the ticket comes, they go, oh, well, let's just divide this evenly. Like, what do you mean evenly? I had a salad and you had the T-bone steak. Are you serious? <laughs> or the or the person that brings out their, their little phone calculator and goes, okay, who had what? And they start tabulating it in. And I'm going, this is crazy. This is crazy. I mean, it just to me, it just seems so rude. And they never include the tip. So and if yeah. you're the whole and if they hand you all the money, the person who collects the money ends up getting screwed out of something because they end up having to pay more. But anyway, the point to get that really gets me is I order something light. Everybody else orders. Oh, and the wine. They order wine. They bottle was of wine. They order the steak. They order the, the, the lobster, I have something light and they want me to split mm-hmm. it evenly with them. 
Yeah, that's why that gets tricky. It's it should be clear whoever invited this group out is the one who's taking care of the tab. And if that didn't happen, if if no one's prepared to do that, then the group may not need to meet in a restaurant like that in a large group. And so that's yeah. where we start thinking about, you know, is this a meeting or is this fun? And if it's fun and it's family and friends, that's something different. But I will tell you, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these um etiquette rules, Jared, because I think especially for women business owners and leaders, we are sometimes the line is blurred between my business associates and my friends. And I would imagine this happens for for males as well. But I see it. And I guess because I'm a female, I feel it so much with females that, you know, we just sometimes do work with people we really like. And we think of them over time as friends. The reason why I spend time working on these etiquette rules is that if we practice these consistently, we will avoid some of the pitfalls that I see happen to women. We get too comfortable with each other and forget you're my client and now I'm acting as if you're my friend. And that behavior might look a little differently. And and you will never know, you know, a month, a year later where things come up that that happened during when I thought we were friends, but I forgot we were professional yeah. colleagues. And so we want to just try the more we can practice some of these rules that we set patterns of behavior in ourselves and the more patterns of behavior we set in ourselves, the easier it is to avoid some of the mistakes that, that we find ourselves in. So Dr. Hinojosa, would it be rude that the next time I host a business meeting, we have it at McDonald's? And pass out happy meals. It's, not, it's not rude at all. It's not rude at all. You're the one that selects. If there's a reason, you can connect it. Not rude at all. You know, that's the thing. These these rules are not driven by you have to have money to follow them. It can it can happen in any situation. It's just understanding the rules of engagement. There you go. Mickey D's, here we come. <laughs> let me let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Inhosa, before we go. Um, both you and I, I know that we've traveled extensively. When it comes to going into like Mexico, business luncheons there can go on for an hour and a half, two hours. And that's kind of standard. And of course, the the uh, the etiquette, the politeness, it seems to me, at least it's been a while since I've traveled because of COVID and everything. But isn't it seem like there's just a higher level of, of politeness and manners and protocol in Mexico than you have here in the U.S.? And if you see that, why? Yeah, well, I think it is important for us to understand cultural dynamics when we are trying to do business. And certainly the Latino culture, which extends, if you just an academic topic, extends um, really up to right about where you are in central Texas, all the way down into Mexico. It's this culture of collectivism as opposed to the culture of individualism, which we'll find farther north around Austin up through the United States. What that means is we in the collectivist culture, we value time together. We value collectivism. We value um, enjoying each other's company. We don't value being alone. And so it's important for a business owner or business leader to understand those dynamics. I got to consult with a firm out of Temple, Texas for a long time that was doing business with a major client in Mexico. And I was their consultant and their intermediary. I was their translator as well. And they would get so frustrated 
that they would schedule the meeting to begin at noon and their Mexican counterparts were really not logging on or coming to the meeting to the restaurant until about 1230, 45, maybe even one o'clock. And so I would have to help them understand this is the cultural dynamic. The punctuality is not the same. It doesn't translate the same. And, and the length of time, you're going to need to schedule a later start and a longer meeting than you would have in Temple, Texas. <laughs> so it, it's about understanding. It's not good or bad. It's about understanding the cultural dynamics so that you can be successful in that situation. Um, my husband and I travel into Mexico almost every Sunday for lunch. And I will tell you, lunch is long. It takes a long time. You enjoy your time there. So so even not a professional setting, but a, a personal setting, a family setting. Um, but there is a certain level of formality that happens that I think is different than some of our locations in the United States. So it's important to know that people yeah. in Mexico can even get dressed up for lunch uh, or dinner. Oh, they, absolutely. It's an it, event. It's more of a it's a, yeah, I was going to say, it's an event. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something to do. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., uh, uh, yeah, it, it's an event. Now, to the cultural thing, um, and you know, uh, Barbara, I've, I've traveled in, in China extensively. I mean, I've been to China, what, 13 times. And there, if you eat everything on your plate, it's considered, well, I learned the hard way. By eating everything on your plate, a lot of people, or it can be interpreted as being you didn't have enough to eat. And so the host will feel bad because you ate everything. So I learned the hard way, you know, just enjoy it, but always leave something and just say you're full. And as many times they offer you more, just I'm happy. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of this little, it's it's almost a, it's a dance of, do you want more? No, I'm fine. If you order mm -hmm. more, then they're having to pay more. And it just, those, those cultural nuances, I mean, they're very real. And I guess, especially if you're traveling into another country, just, or dealing with people from someplace else, be aware of that and do a little studying of what their what their culture is and how these uh, how this thing should play out. Absolutely. You know, we find in, in our culture here along the border, it's rude to leave much food on your plate. The, it offends the chef. Uh, the chef could be your right. grandmother, your Thea, whatever, right? But it offends that they think you didn't like the food. So I, I tell people, remember just not to over order. If you're going to a restaurant with someone and they invited you in this culture, don't over order because you may offend them by not eating all that food. And it's, it's may, may be impossible to eat all the food because you're having a meeting, you're, you're trying to talk. So just be mindful. I, I love your point to do a little bit of research, be mindful of yeah. what those expectations are. And for me, I have to remind myself, a tortilla is not an eating utensil. It's a, but you know, you, you learn to use it. <laughs> it depends on where you are and who you're with. There. There you go. There you go. Well, Dr. Nahosa, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to um, we're going to have a contact information for you on the on the podcast notes. If uh, you've enjoyed this podcast, please like us, make a comment, give us a star, whatever you like. But Dr. Nahosa, before we go, is there any closing thoughts or remarks on the business etiquette you'd like to make? Well, thank you again for having me. The only thing I want to reiterate is these rules are meant to help us as leaders. First of all, we're all leaders. Whether we want to be leaders or not, we are leaders. And the reason we're leaders is because the definition of leadership deals with influence. And we all have it. We influence other people. People watch us. They do things because we do them. They don't do things because we do them. And so really understanding the power of leadership means we understand the rules of engagement. Got it. All right, folks. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Latino Business Report. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time. 